Well, this evening, as we announced to you last time, we are actually going to take a break from our study through the book of Exodus. We'll pick back up there in chapter 28 next time, but uh, tonight we want to take a break, as promised, to kind of take another uh, session in this series that we've been kind of trying to do together, uh, covering the the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives and among the church and among the world. And this evening, we want to kind of do a part two from our last session that we began together, uh, which was where we were talking about particularly the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. We talked about the person and the deity of the Holy Spirit, who he is. Uh, And then we talked uh, at length about the ministry of the Holy Spirit among the world and what he's doing among the world, drawing people to Christ and how he operates among the world when he is with us prior to the time that we get saved and then he enters into us and indwells us. Uh, We talked about the ministry of the Holy Spirit among the the church itself, that is the the ministry of the Spirit of God among the body of Christ, kind of on a corporate level and how he works among us. And now we're beginning to discuss, which is something to talk about in great length, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of Uh, of the believer. Uh, And I'm just going to say as a preface up front, I'm I'm not going to address this evening uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'll cover that in a a separate session and kind of one teaching. We'll talk about that, the baptism and uh, the filling of the Holy Spirit, as well as uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Certainly there's great length. The Bible teaches us about the different gifts of the Holy Spirit, and we'll give attention to that. But uh, tonight we want to just kind of talk about some more of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit uh, in our lives in the sense of how he continues to work in us. Again, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 19 says to the Christian, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And the Bible is very clear that one of the marks of conversion when we make a commitment to Jesus Christ and we put our faith and trust in him as Savior for our sins and embrace Him as the Lord of our lives, that at that moment, the Spirit of God goes from being with us to actually indwelling us and entering inside of us. And in the same way, the presence of God, in a sense, dwelt uh, within the tabernacle and the temple of old. Uh, God now, in this amazing way, takes up residence in the life of each individual Christian. And our lives actually literally become, the Bible says, a temple of God and the spirit of the living God actually dwells inside of us. This amazing concept, this New Testament mystery that the Jews and those in the time of the Old Testament could not even fathom that God wouldn't just be with us, but that he actually would indwell us, that he would take up residence inside of our lives and live within us to help us and to assist us. And Last time when we were together, we mentioned that we want to kind of talk about this particular session almost in, 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 in two particular major topics. One, what does the Holy Spirit do at the instant of our spiritual conversion? That is at the moment of salvation, that day, that hour when you pray and, and express your faith and by grace of God receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, that moment of your salvation, your conversion experience, at that moment, the Holy Spirit does a few different things as he enters into our life. And we talked about that in the last session. Particularly, we mentioned four kind of major things that at the moment of your salvation, when you're indwelt with the Spirit, 
the Spirit of God brings about regeneration. That is, he makes your dead spirit. The Bible says we are dead in trespasses and sins. We don't start out with spiritual life. We start out spiritually dead as the result of the fall of Adam. We are born apart from relationship with God. We have no capacity for spiritual life. We can't fan into flame some spiritual spark. We have to be born again. We have to have a spiritual birth. And at the moment we accept Christ, in our conversion, the Spirit comes within our lives and He regenerates our dead human spirit by the awakening of the Spirit of God. He brings about life in our spirit so then we can have consciousness of God and relationship with God. Romans 8 says that His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And that's what regeneration is. God awakens us. We're made alive in Christ. And we then come alive to what it means to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That happens the moment of our salvation. Also at conversion, the Spirit, secondarily, we talked about, baptizes us into the life of Jesus personally. That is, we become one with Christ or united with Christ. We share in life with Christ. And, and in a sense, the Bible teaches we are in Christ, that is judicially, positionally, God sees us as righteous. Our lives, in a sense, as we're married to Christ, just like a, a husband and a wife get married and the wife takes the identity of her husband, and in a sense, she then becomes one with the husband. We become one with Jesus spiritually, mystically, supernaturally, where, in a sense, our lives are identified with Christ. We share in his death and resurrection and all the glorious spiritual benefits of that relationship. Thirdly, we talked about how also conversion the spirit baptizes us into the body of christ that is we become part of the family of god we become a child of god and now we have brothers and sisters in christ and it's at that moment that we also just like when you marry someone when you choose to marry someone whether you like it or not uh, you marry the family along with them and you inherit family as the result of that marriage relationship. So when you join your life with Christ, uh, you inherit brothers and sisters in Christ and a spiritual family becomes a part of your experience. And then fourthly and finally, we talked about it, conversion, the spirit seals the life of a believer. Uh, and that is, in a sense, the Holy Spirit enters into our lives and he seals and protects us supernaturally from the devil's uh, capacity to be able to infiltrate our life can the devil oppress a christian and hassle a christian yes but a christian cannot be demon possessed the devil doesn't have access to us the bible says he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world and we are sealed by the power of the holy spirit until the day of god's redemption is purchased possession the spirit of god is god's down payment that he is going to come back and finish the transaction and draw us home to be with the Lord. It is a sense of the engagement ring that Jesus gives to the individual believers so that they can guarantee that they will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And in a sense, that Holy Spirit being given to us, God's very presence by his Spirit, is that seal and guarantee to the believer. So that's what transpires at the moment of salvation, those things. But then there is an ongoing, continuous ministry of the Holy Spirit that happens in our lives from the point of salvation going forward all the way to the moment that we either die or are raptured off of this earth and go into the presence of the Lord. And that's what we want to talk about this evening, that continuous, constant work of the Holy Spirit during our daily walk 
as a Christian. So turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And again, like typical, we're going to move around to some different scriptures as we're kind of taking a topical look at uh, this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we'll kind of move to some different passages. But if I can draw your attention to Romans chapter 8. And again, uh, Romans chapter 8, really the, the whole chapter itself in in great depth is a lot of discussion about this personal ministry of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives to help us overcome the flesh and to be able to live life in the spirit rather than in our sinful flesh. Uh, and in fact, if you just draw your attention, just as a preface, I'm going to draw your attention to another section, but look at, look at me in verse 9 there. Paul says, but chapter 8, verse 9, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed, here's that reemphasis again, the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So again, the Bible makes this distinguishing mark that if the spirit of Christ, interesting, in the same verse, he says the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ, referring to the Holy Spirit, reminding us, as we said before, that the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible in the same verse calls him the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ in the exact same verse here, that the reminder of the Trinity. And, and again, he says here, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you belong to the Lord. But he says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to the Lord yet. If you haven't embraced Jesus Christ and he hasn't entered into your life in a personal way, the Bible says then then you don't belong to him yet. You may know things about Jesus. You may be seeking to read and study and pursue the teachings of Jesus, but until you have entered into a spiritual experience with Jesus where the Spirit of Christ takes up residence within you in that deep and intimate way, there's still something more to be experienced. So uh, very important to, to remember that. He goes on, verse 10, And if Christ is in you, the body, the flesh, the old part of you, he says, from God's perspective, is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So what an amazing promise there as we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit that the Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ back from the dead. Now do you think it takes quite a bit of power to raise someone from the dead? And the Bible saying the same spirit the resurrection spirit of God the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells now inside of you and I as Christians. Uh, Paul, when he was praying for the Ephesians, he prayed that they might come to understand you know, the exceeding greatness uh, of God's power to those who believe and, and, and one of them to kind of understand that very concept. The verse is coming to my mind now. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read what Paul says is, is coming to mind. He, he was praying for the Ephesians. He says, Ephesians 1.19, I pray that you might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. It's according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So the Bible's saying, look, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, 
That same power of the resurrected spirit of Christ dwells inside of you now to give you life as you live out your mortal uh, experience in a body of flesh. It's his spirit dwelling within you that empowers you to live out a relationship with Christ and to walk with God and have relationship with God. So again, no lack of power, no lack of potency has God made available to us by his divine resources. As we've been studying it on Sunday mornings where Peter in Second Peter says, you know, God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness by his divine power and the divine nature that's been given to us. Now, look down with me in verse 29, and here's one of the first kind of major concepts I want to point out to you of this continuous work of the Spirit his ministry in the life of you and I as a Christian during our daily walk with Jesus. And again, if you're a note taker or by mental notation, I would say this up front, the primary ministry of the believer or the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer. And I, and I, think, I think I'm on fair ground to say that it's the primary ministry. It's not the only one, but I really believe it is the primary ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer on an ongoing basis is what we would call sanctification. Sanctification. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. He says, regarding God, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Here's what God predestined you before the foundations of the world when he foreknew that you would get saved and he chose you to be a child of God. It says he had already predestined in advance. Here's what God's aim and goal was for you as a Christian to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So again, sanctification, you could say, according to what the word of God teaches us, is basically the spiritual process whereby God is conforming us into the image and likeness of Jesus. It is the process of God's spirit at work within the Christian conforming us and making us become more like his son, Jesus Christ. Listen, that is God's aim in your life. That is the primary goal that God has as he works in your life from the inside out. He deposits his spirit within you and he starts the, the renovation, renewal, construction, regeneration process and his spirit begins to go to work within your life. And from the day you said yes to Jesus and opened the door of your heart to him and let him come on the inside and become a part of your life, the primary thing God has been trying to do working within you and me is to make us become more like his son. It says that we would be conformed into the image, the likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to become more Christ-like, to reflect the nature of Jesus. And it's a process that God is doing in our lives. And everything in life is a tool that God is using in that process. And, and the longer that I have walked with Jesus, and it's been 20 plus years now that I've been a Christian, it seems I just become more and more conscious of this reality that this is what the Lord's number one agenda is in my life. It's not necessarily to make me happy. It's not necessarily to make my circumstances what I prefer they be. Uh, it's not necessarily to make everything go good and, and wonderful in my life or to, to make me prosper or, or to alleviate problems or difficulties from my life. 
Um, it's not necessarily to work in ways that, that I might think that God ought to work, but God's primary agenda is to use everything that's happening in my sphere of my world personally to use those things as tools in his divine toolbox to conform me more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And I just continue to sense and see this continuously in my life. I mean, you know, we, we think of marriage and, you know, of course, when we choose to get married, we're thinking, oh, this is going to be wonderful. I'm going to marry somebody and, and you know, I'm going to be happy and they're going to make me happy and I'm going to make them happy. And, and, and we, again, not that marriage shouldn't make us happy and that there's not a sense of satisfaction in marriage and fulfillment in marriage. There are many gifts and blessings in marriage, and it's a wonderful, sacred institution. But, but I have found over many years of marriage, and you know, we're a few months away from 20 years of marriage ourselves, I have found that one of God's primary purposes in marriage is not necessarily just to make me happy as much as it is to make me more holy. And that God will use the marriage relationship of dwelling intimately together with another person to be one of the primary tools that he uses in my life and in your life if you're married to tweak your your character and to reveal things to you about yourself and to stretch you and to grow you and will use just that experience of living with another sinner just like yourself to constantly work in your life conforming you into the nature and and the image of Jesus Christ. In some senses, you know, it's been said before that the greatest wedding gift anyone gave you on the day of your marriage ceremony was the Lord. And that was he gave, gave to you your spouse who honestly is probably the clearest mirror reflection of what you were really like. You know, because you get married, I think I'm doing pretty good. I'm, 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 I think I'm actually kind of growing spiritually. And, and then God adds a, a spouse to you and you go, whoa, I didn't realize I was that selfish still. I didn't realize I was that impatient still. I didn't realize I you know, struggled with that still. And, and all of a sudden you find yourself wrestling with things that God brings to the surface that he says, yeah, I want to work on that because that's not very Christ-like. That's not very much like my son Jesus. And you know, then the Lord has a sense of humor. You know, then when you start to think you're making a little progress with a spouse, he, he whips a kid in there. Rocks your world again, you know. And I think the more children we have, the more testimony that we need more help. You know, so I have three. So I don't know what that's saying. You know, I, I, so I, the Lord, but he uses those things. He uses our family life. He uses the place where he has you working at and the people that he has you interacting with that irritate you and require your patience, that are mean to you and mistreat you. He uses the experiences and circumstances of your life. He uses the particular struggles of your dynamic and your family life and all its dysfunctions and challenges. He, he, he uses your experiences and, and, and everything where God has put you and placed you. Please do not fail to see that, it, 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 look, it's not just in vain. You know, it's not like God just spun a top and he just let it go and he walked away and he just kind of checks in on it. Absolutely not. It is by divine design, whether we realize it or not, that where God has put you and the people he's put around you and all the experiences you're being exposed to in your life, all of that 
is a tool in the hand of a loving, gracious, all-wise God to work and to shape. And he's got one agenda, one primary agenda, to conform you into the image of Jesus, to use those things to shape you and to mold you in his life. Again, 2 Corinthians 3.18 alludes to the same thing, and I, this verse states it very well as well. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, listen to what he says, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So very important verse. The Bible says that as we are beholding Jesus, as we're just beholding the Lord, looking to the Lord, seeking the Lord, spending time with the Lord, the Bible says that if we just seek Jesus and look to him, pray to him, walk after him and pursue him and spend time with him, that as we are in the presence of Jesus and spending time with him, the marvelous thing is the Bible says that in the midst of that, just seeking and looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, it says to us that in that we are being transformed that we're actually metamorphically being transformed from the inside out and it says that we're being transformed into the same image of a Jesus. As we look to Jesus, gradually, somehow, supernaturally, the Lord is changing us. Again, it's not us changing ourselves. Let's not confuse the concept of that, yes, am I supposed to repent of sin? Of course. Am I supposed to make certain decisions? Yes. But, but we don't make ourselves more Christ-like. We don't try and reform our flesh or, or, or try and act more like Jesus. It is as we are looking to Jesus and seeking Jesus that it says that we are being transformed into that same image by the Spirit of the Lord. As the Spirit of the Lord just works inside of us, He brings change and transformation. It's a process. It's an ongoing work. And again, notice it says that we're being transformed. Take note of that. It's in the present tense, continual tense, being transformed. It doesn't say we've been transformed. Have we been saved? Yes. But we're still being transformed. That's a lifelong process from the moment of conversion until the moment that you step beyond the veil and into God's eternal presence. We're being transformed. It's a process. And I say that for this reason. Listen, do not buy into the condemning lies of the devil. Do not submit to the you know, discouraging, self-defeating lies of your own flesh that, oh, woe is me, and I'm still not this, and I'm still not this. Well, of course you're not. You're still in process. But you're not what you once were. We're not what we're supposed to be yet, of course, absolutely. The Bible says that we will never be like Jesus until we see him face to face, First John tells us. It's not until we're in the presence of Jesus and we see him face to face that we'll actually become like him when we shed these bodies of flesh and weakness and sinfulness. But in the meantime, we're in progress and we're in process. And, and, and the spirit of the Lord is working a process within us, transforming us uh, and eradicating the disposition and the things of our flesh. He's getting that out of our system. And at the same time, he's trying to make us more Christ-like. And, and, and man, it is a process because there are lots of things in my life still, after walking with the Lord for 20 years, that I find are very unchrist-like still. But I take heart that the Lord is involved in the process and that he's responsible for the process. And I need to remember that too because I also need to reflect upon the fact that every other Christian around me is in process too. And we need to remember that to give grace to other people around us that when we have expectations we shouldn't, sometimes I think we should just step back and say, you know what? Uh, he's still in process. 
She's still in process. So I'm in process too, and, and they're being transformed. The Lord's doing something in their life, and he's doing something in my life. And, and so let me just patiently trust the Lord to accomplish that process. Don't start playing the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life. Let the Lord accomplish the process. We have one primary encouragement we should give to one another. We should point people back to Jesus. And we should say, look, just look to Jesus. Because only Jesus and only the Spirit of God can change people. We can't change people. That's God's job. Our job is to love people and to point people to Jesus. And if we're doing that, it says, we'll, be, we'll experience being transformed into the image of Christ. And it will happen by the Spirit of the Lord. And that's lasting and that's fruitful. That's what the Bible means when it talks about Christ in you. The hope of glory. It's what Paul meant when he in Galatians 2.20 said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ lives in me. Letting the life of Christ be lived out through us, and I said it earlier, it's not a Christian trying to reform their flesh, it's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, discovering the yielded life, how to die to self and to yield now to the life of Christ living within me and to let Jesus live out his life through me so that less of me and my flesh would be manifested and more of the life of Christ would be manifested as I let Christ in me live out his life. Now that process of him conforming us happens over a long time and our experiences here and there are various other ministries of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and one of them being uh, that the Spirit of God also as a ministry reveals truth to the Christian. Jesus often called the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16, the spirit of truth. In fact, if you'll turn with me over to John's gospel in chapter 14, let's look at a few verses there together. John 14, and if I can draw your attention to verse 25, we'll see some of these different ways and various ministries of the Spirit as this whole sanctification process is happening. Other things the Holy Spirit does within our lives continuously. One of them being, as I said, again, if you're a note taker, the Spirit reveals truth to us. John 14, beginning in verse 25, Jesus, again, in these chapters, is talking a great deal about him departing and going to send the Holy Spirit in his place to be with the disciples, that new relationship that he would come and the Spirit would live within them and be the helper to them as Jesus once was. He says, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, notice, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So uh, here we see Jesus declaring these things and telling us that one of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives revelation to us. He speaks here in verse 26 saying, look, I've been speaking to you while present with you, but now I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come dwell with you. And he says, when he is with you, he will be the one now to teach you all things to give you instruction about God to explain to you the ways of God and things about the kingdom of God and again keep in mind as I said this whole concept of the spirit revealing the truths of God to us Jesus calls him multiple times in John 14 to 16 the spirit of truth and what does truth do truth when it's presented truth reveals error 
So guess what one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is going to be in your life and in my life on a regular basis? To constantly reveal error to you. Your own error to you. He's going to continuously, as he dwells within you as the spirit of truth, put his finger on by way of what we call conviction. What's error in your life? So when there's error in your life and your attitude, the spirit of truth is going to say, blink, blink. That's a wrong attitude, man. When your thinking is wrong, the Spirit of God is going to bring the truth to you in conviction of sin and say, your thinking is wrong, or your behavior is wrong, or your actions are wrong. And, and so there's a conviction of the Spirit that is a natural, healthy thing where the Spirit convicts us of what is error and what is wrong because He exposes the truth to our lives to reveal the error. And He does this by way of His revelation in our lives and speaking to us. Uh, turn with me, if you would, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And Paul talks in great length about this ministry of the Spirit and his revelation as he works in our lives to the Corinthians. And again, just another great section of Scripture that kind of illustrates this very reality of the revelation work of the spirit within us of truth and instruction and showing things to us revealing things to us about god about god's purposes and plans and the ways of god and the nature of god that the spirit of god within us gives us that revelation and understanding first corinthians 2 look with me I actually go up as far as verse 7 and Paul says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. So Paul says the, you know, the greatest, wisest rulers of that age, they did not even understand the very plans and purposes of God, the, the wisest philosophers, the greatest rulers, they didn't understand. He says, verse 8, for had they known... They would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, verse 9, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. So Paul makes a reference and he says the reason why humanity didn't discern and didn't know who Jesus was and they didn't recognize him and they, they weren't able to decipher and to discern and recognize who he was as the Lord of glory, he says, is because it wasn't something that they could discern through natural faculties. Notice he says, eye has not seen nor ear heard. Again, we have different uh, you know, senses that help us to, you know, we see things, we hear things, we can smell things, we can taste things. We have certain physical senses, but God says those physical senses are not what is necessary to understand spiritual things. There are things that the natural eye can't see and behold. There are things that the natural ear can't comprehend. There are things that the human heart in its natural condition can't discern and relate to and understand. He says, the things which God has prepared for those who love him, that this hasn't entered into the heart of man. It's not comprehended or grasped through just natural faculties alone. Our natural faculties aren't sufficient. Verse 10, he says, but God has, notice, under, I have it underlined here in my Bible, has revealed them to us. Listen, truth of the matter is this. 
Any person cannot understand truly anything about God unless God reveals himself to them, unless God reveals that to them. By just academia or study alone or intellectual pursuits, that is not sufficient to understand the nays and the wager, uh, the, 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 the ways and the nature of God. Remember, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders because he said, you search the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. But he said, you fail to see that they testify of me and you won't come to me that you may have life. What was Jesus saying to the religious leaders? He was saying, you are incredible students of the Bible. You study the word of God diligently. You pour over it in an intellectual pursuit. You have such a grasp of knowledge and understanding. But he says that natural knowledge with your eyes and your ears and your own human heart and reasoning, he says, it's insufficient because you're missing the whole point that those pages point to me. You're failing to see those pages reveal me. They weren't open to the very work of God spiritually in their lives. So Paul says to the Christian, God has revealed these things to us. And how does he do it? Verse 10, through his spirit. That's why we need the spirit of God's work in our lives. That's why we need to be open to the spirit of God entering into our life. And that's the benefit of the Christian having the spirit of God dwelling in our lives. God has revealed things to us through his spirit for the spirit, he says, searches all things. Yes, even the deep things of God for what man, verse 11, knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Here's the point Paul makes. Paul says, who really knows what's going on inside of another person except the very spirit of that person themselves? You know, I, I can't look in Jason's life and say, I know what's going on inside of Jason. I know what he's thinking. Is he's, yeah, he's thinking this is pretty boring. Are you almost done yet? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't know if he's thinking that. I hope he's not thinking that. It's not a word of knowledge, I promise. Uh, it, well, I, the only person that honestly knows what's going on inside of his heart and his mind and his life, truly, at the end of the day, is him. It's the spirit of a man who is the only one that really knows what's, what's truly happening in that person. It's their own spirit. And, and Paul says here, in the same way, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God himself. And he says, but here's the wonderful thing. The spirit of God lives inside of you. So the one who knows everything about God because he is God, he's God in the spirit. He says God himself, who knows himself because he's the spirit, he dwells inside of you so he can reveal things about God to you. He can reveal the deep mysteries and ways and, and aspects of the nature and character of God to you. He says, verse 12, now we have received, look, not the spirit of the world, human reasoning and intellect and intelligentsia and philosophy. He says, no, we haven't received that, but we've received the spirit of him who is from God that we might, here's why, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. God has given you his spirit, it says, that you might know the things that have been freely given to you by God. God wants you to know everything that he has available to you, everything about himself, everything that he wants to do in your life by his divine power, by his divine nature. 
And so he's given you his spirit so that he can reveal to you things about God. These things, he says, we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Again, Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit teaching and instructing, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man, verse 14, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. Again, just the human Nature alone, he says, doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, to the natural man. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have, notice, the mind of Christ. So Paul alludes to this reality. He says, look, the problem is this. The natural man doesn't understand and discern the things of the spirit because they have to be spiritually discerned. There's another sense, a spiritual sense, whereby revelation finds its source. And to experience revelation from God about him or about his ways or understanding the ways of God, there needs to be in our lives the indwelling presence of God to start with, and then I want to say this, and a continuous awareness and openness to the spirit of God's ministry at work in your life there needs to be this conscious sense of dependence that Lord my natural brain alone despite how smart my IQ may be it is not sufficient to help me understand all the things that you want to reveal to me and if we only take an intellectual approach alone to the word of God and we make it nothing more than academia and facts and knowledge listen I think we should study to show ourselves approved I think we should be a, a, a workman who can rightly divide the word of truth but if we are not open to the fact that there needs to be a revelation of God's spirit attached to are seeking God in prayer and study of his word, we're going to miss things that God wants to show us. There is so much that God wants to show us. But it says God reveals things to us by his spirit. And we need to be open and be seeking that from the Lord. My point is simply this. Spiritual perspiration alone is not enough. There needs to also be inspiration and illumination that comes from the Holy Spirit and those things coupled together lead us into things that our eye couldn't see or our ear wouldn't hear or our heart wouldn't understand unless God revealed those things to us. And there's this marvelous ministry of God's Spirit whereby He wants to reveal things to you. He wants to show you things about Himself and about His Word and, and what a marvelous gift that the Lord has given to us through the illumination, even again, when we're reading his word. I think of 1 John chapter 2, where John there says, these things I've written to you concerning those who try and deceive you. But he says, you have an anointing which you receive from him who abides in you so that no one needs to teach you anything, but as that same anointing teaches you concerning all things. Again, John was writing those things as a warning of those who are false teachers trying to deceive Christians. And trying to say to Christians in that day, listen, you can't trust your own reading of the scriptures yourself. Uh, you need to follow our Gnostic sect or, or our, our new approach. And if you follow us, we'll take you into the deeper things of God. 
And we've discovered, and, and they were trying to represent themselves in a way where there's some new avenue or some new enticing way or some new aspect of the Christian life that nobody's seen before and, and appealing to people in a way whereby they were trying to draw them away from just personal dependency on God's word and God's spirit alone as a Christian and saying, hey, you, 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 and, and John says, that, that's hogwash. Don't buy into that. He says, you have the same anointing, the same spirit of God dwelling within you, and he can instruct you and teach you concerning all things. Even as Paul was saying here, John was alluding to the exact same thing. And I say that for this reason, because let's be very frank, there are parts of the so-called church that honestly try and discourage people from reading the Bible themselves. I want to tell people, only certain self-appointed and anointed individuals who have a spiritual hierarchy and status, they alone can understand the Holy Scriptures, but common people can't understand the Holy Scriptures. Listen, God, God would say, that is, that is ludicrous. The Bible knows nothing of that. I want you to just think of it from this concept. Who authored the Word of God? The Spirit of God, right? The Spirit of God authored the Word of God. So if the Spirit of God authored the Word of God, and this book also tells us that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you as a Christian. It is fair to say the very author of this book lives inside of you. Now, I don't think that there's a much better source of understanding what a book means than actually having the author himself live with you continuously and dwelling right inside of you. You see, I, what I, the point I'm trying to make is if you're reading a book and you're saying, I don't wonder what the author meant here on page 1541 in chapter 10, paragraph 3. I mean, I've been reading it. What, what do you, what do you, I wonder what he meant there when he said that. Now, you could go, for example, to someone else who read the book and say, hey, you read this book. What do you think he means here? Page 1541, chapter 10, paragraph 3. What, you read the book and, and they may say, well, this is what I think he meant. That might be a little more helpful because they read the book too. You want to get a step better, maybe you could talk to somebody who knew the author. And, hey, aren't you friends with the author of that book? Yeah, I'm actually, I know him personally. You do? Well, what do you think, since you know him personally, what do you think he meant here on this page and that chapter and that paragraph? You might get a little better idea if the person actually knows the author themselves and not just read the book. But the greatest opportunity would be what? What if you could talk to the author himself and say, hey, you actually wrote this here on page 1541, chapter 10, paragraph 3. Since you wrote it, what did you mean when you wrote that? You'd probably get a pretty accurate interpretation. Listen, the author of the Word of God, the Spirit of God, dwells in you as a Christian. And the Spirit of God is capable to give you as an individual Christian understanding to the Scriptures to give you understanding and illumination and to help you understand as the interpreter of your Bible. So that's why it's so important to pray in cooperation with your Bible reading and to be dependent upon the revelation work of the Spirit when you're reading the Scriptures. Lord, you put your Spirit within me. By your Spirit, illuminate my understanding. Help me to understand what you mean here. What are you saying here? And to be able to have that joyous dependency on the Lord to do that very thing. That's why sometimes when you're reading the scriptures too, you ever notice how when you're reading the word of God, sometimes a passage of scripture, it will just jump off the page and like attach itself to your heart in the most personal and direct way. Well, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, knowing exactly what you're going through. And you might have read that same passage 
four other times before, but you were in different circumstances of your life at time, but God's word is living and active. And the spirit of God who wrote the word of God also dwells inside of you. So he says, ah, at this moment, this free, it doesn't even take a whole verse sometimes, doesn't it? Sometimes it's just a few, a few words out of a verse and it just attaches itself like a promise or a challenge or some personal confirmation and speaks to you. And, and what a wonderful ministry it is when that very thing happens. Go back with me to John 14 where we were. One other thing that Jesus points out in this verse here that I want to kind of just draw your attention to in, in John 14, Jesus also said there in verse 26 that not only will the Holy Spirit be our teacher and help us understand and instruct us regarding God's truth, but he says, verse 26, he will also bring to your remembrance, Jesus says, all things that I have said to you. Here's another ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Is he helps us to recall things that God has said to us and to remember things in God's word that he has spoken to us before. There is a ministry of remembrance and reminding us of things that the Holy Spirit performs in our life. Jesus said he will bring to remembrance the things that I've already said to you. And I'll tell you, I love this ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I'm beginning to love it more the further along that I go and, and the, the older I'm progressing as well. That the Holy Spirit brings things up to my remembrance. And maybe you've experienced this before as a Christian. The way that that happens is as all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, the Spirit of God helps you recall a scripture. And the Word of God just, it just like instant recall, it just, it just shows up right there in the forefront of your mind. Some verse from scripture. Maybe you're, you're witnessing to somebody and you're trying to talk to somebody and share the Lord with them. You've had this experience before. And as you're witnessing to someone, all of a sudden, here comes a verse and it just... Boom, it just comes up out of nowhere. You're thinking, I don't even know if I, did I ever read that verse before? And, and, and all of a sudden here you are just, you don't even know chapter and reference where it came from. But a, the, the Spirit of God brings to your remembrance just an applicable verse to share in that moment. Or maybe you're talking to somebody in a problem or a difficulty or you're trying to counsel somebody and you want to give them the best counsel. Well, God's word and God is the best counselor. And all of a sudden, this perfect fitting scripture just comes to your mind and you didn't read it that morning in your devotions. You hadn't studied it the last seven weeks in church. But all of a sudden, it's something that maybe you read before because you just consistently sow the word of God in your life and the Holy Spirit brings it up to your remembrance and it's the exact verse that you need to remind someone of or maybe you need to be reminded of yourself. He brings a promise up to you in a tough moment where he brings a truth to your mind to try and you know remind you of something that's important in a given situation. And I'll tell you one of the ways that he does this as well at times even when we're ministering. Whenever, maybe when you're teaching the word of God, this is something I can tell you consistently is a wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit. When, I, when I'm teaching the word of God, if you ever teach Bible studies or Bible lessons where as you're communicating and listen, do I prepare in advance? Absolutely. Do I pray and prepare? But I tell you this, there are many times when I'm just communicating the word of God and the ministry of the gift of teaching and it's, it's a gift of the Spirit happening that in the midst of that, that the Holy Spirit will, in the midst of it, help my mind to recall the scripture that I didn't think of in advance, but it will come to mind in that moment or that hour because it's a scripture that God wants to share. And so he recalls it to mind through the ministry of his spirit. He brings to remembrance his word 
in our lives. Look over just in chapter 16 of John's Gospel. John 16, verse 12 and 13. We'll look at a few other things here. John 16, uh, Jesus says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So take note of that. Sometimes Jesus doesn't share everything with you that he wants to or needs to because he realizes you're not ready to hear it yet. Sometimes the Lord is gracious in his stewardship of what he reveals to us. Verse 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So take note, another ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian on an ongoing basis is also guidance. The Spirit guides us. Jesus says he will guide you into all truth. Why? Because the Bible says God wants us to walk in truth. So the Holy Spirit guides us into the truth. He leads us away from error and he guides us in truth on our spiritual journey. The Spirit of God has a ministry of guidance within the life of a Christian. In a sense, again, if you want to illustrate it, it's sort of like you know, God's Spirit within you is, is like God's divine compass within you, helping you find true north, helping you find what's truth, so that in given situations you can walk in truth and not in error. And the Spirit wants to guide you day by day and hour by hour. Romans 8.4 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Take note of that. Part of being a son of God, a daughter of God, is God wants to lead you. He doesn't want to just save you. He, he, he wants to lead your everyday life. He wants to lead you where to go and what to do and, and what to say and, and who to connect with. And, and, and he wants to provide leadership and guidance in your life. And so important that we come to a place where we're allowing our lives to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I, I encourage you, may God help us all to become more sensitive to learning how to live a life that's, that's not just impulsively self-governed. Well, I'm going to go here and do this and say that and do this, and, but instead being patient enough to just to seek to listen to the still small voice of the Spirit, to be led of the Spirit, and, and to let the Spirit of God lead me each day and throughout the hour of my day to maybe the Spirit of God wants me to go over here and do this. Maybe he wants me to go over there and talk to that person. Maybe he's putting on my heart to do this and to just let our lives be led by the Spirit of God guiding us. Again, Galatians 5 says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit wants to direct your steps. Acts chapter 8 is a great illustration of this. We don't have time to look at it, but it's a chapter there where the Spirit of God tells Philip, listen, I want you to stop doing this and I want you to go over here and do that and I want you to go over there and talk to that guy. And, and Philip is led by the Spirit in the midst of what he's to do and where he's to go and, and who he's to speak to. And I believe the Spirit of God wants to do the same in each one of our lives. And the way he does it, verse 13, Jesus says, is he will speak to us. Listen, God wants to speak to you, and God is speaking to you. The thing that we need to do is tune our ear into the voice of the Lord and be open to what he wants to say to us. Jesus even says here that he will tell you, look at verse 13, he will tell you of things to come. Well, that's pretty interesting. He'll tell you of things to come. The, the Spirit of God sometimes will speak to you in ways whereby He will warn you of something ahead or direct you or prepare you to, to protect you. He'll, he'll sometimes give you insight of something that's coming ahead. 
in a prophetic way. God can do that because God already dwells in the future even though we don't. Sometimes he can tell us of things to come in advance in our lives. And, and you know, there are many ways I think that the Spirit speaks to us and guides us. I find as I read the Word of God, certainly this is one of the most primary ways that I hear God speak to me is through his Word. Uh, by being in his word regularly and consistently the spirit of God speaks to me and I hear God's voice and God guides me but sometimes it's the still small voice of the Lord there's that still small voice internally communicating to your spirit and conscience and, and you learn to recognize that's the still small voice of the Lord sometimes God speaks to me through another believer through a conversation I'm having or sometimes maybe just listening to a conversation perhaps you've, where you're listening to two other Christians talk I've experienced before where I'm listening to two other Christians talk and I hear something said and, and I realize hmm, you two are talking but God just talked to me <laughs> ouch you know? and, and sometimes just by listening you can hear the voice of the Lord maybe saying something to you and even through circumstances I find in my life sometimes I clearly hear what God's saying just by seeing what God's saying through circumstances like Paul in Acts 16 where it says he tried to go into an area to minister and the Holy Spirit just forbade him didn't tell him why and then he tried to go to another location to minister and the Holy Spirit forbid him and said no Paul not here or here stay right where you're at and just sit there for a while longer and I encourage you sometimes listen God through circumstances will speak clearly to you about things that he's trying to say to you but what's the most important thing he's trying to say to us Look what Jesus says in these verses 15, 14 and 15 he says, he will glorify me for I'll take what is mine and declare it to you. All things the father says are mine. Therefore, I said he will take of mine and declare it to you. Uh, Jesus said in John fifteen twenty six, when the helper whom I send to you from the father, the spirit of truth proceeds from the father, he will testify of me. Please take note. The Spirit of God, the thing He wants to reveal to you and say to you the most is to direct your attention to Jesus. He wants to glorify Jesus in your life. The Holy Spirit wants to put your attention on Jesus and put your focus on Jesus, get your attention off of yourself. And the Holy Spirit, one of His greatest desires and what He wants to show to you and speak to you about and guide you into more and more is to reveal Jesus to you and to cause you in your life to want to glorify Jesus more. And to see Jesus more. Jesus says here, everything that's mine is what he wants to declare to you. And he says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to glorify Jesus in each and every one of our lives. You know, there are many ministries of the Spirit of God that he accomplishes in our lives. He gives us power and victory over sin. I mean, that's common sense. You know, Romans 6, 7, and 8 are three chapters that allude to the clarity and the truth very clearly of how it is the Holy Spirit, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that sets us free from the law of sin and death. And it should go without saying that the Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome sin in our lives, victorious power, deliverance and freedom and the ability to resist sin and to serve God instead and to walk in the Spirit and not gratify the lusts of our flesh. And one other area I will leave you with just to put into your notes this evening as far as a ministry of the Holy Spirit, and I would encourage you to kind of read this one out on your own, is Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. And let me just read these verses to you because we need to close up our time. Romans 8, 26 and 27. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us 
with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Here is one ministry of the Spirit many overlook, many don't think about, and that is this, is that the Holy Spirit helps the Christian in prayer and how to pray according to the will of God. First John says if we pray anything and ask anything according to the will of God, what? He hears us and we have what we asked. And then God says, one of the ministries of my spirit is in your weakness. He says, Romans 8, 26, 27. Sometimes we don't know how we ought to pray. Have you ever been in that place before where you know you should pray? It's not a matter of what you know. I know, I know I should pray. That's what I should do here. But I don't know how to pray about this. I don't know what to pray. I'm not even sure how I'm supposed to approach this in prayer. Or, or let's say I want to pray for a missionary who's in Sudan. Well, I don't know what's going on over in Sudan, but guess who knows what's going on over Sudan? God does. So God, who knows exactly what's going on in Sudan, can prompt me by His Spirit how to pray according to the will of God so that my prayers are in line with the will of God and the Holy Spirit helps me in my intercession. He even says in these verses that with groanings, that words that can't express, the Holy Spirit takes that and He interprets it according to the will of God. Listen, have you ever been in a spot where you know you should pray and you want to pray? Maybe you're facing something that's heavy or, or you're just wanting to intercede and, and you just you, you can't even find the right words to articulate. And maybe you're all just like, oh, Lord. Oh, and, and maybe it's frustration or it's deep emotion. And, and you can do nothing but groan in the presence of God or let a tear run down your face. And the amazing thing is, is the Bible says to us that when we do that, the very Spirit of God who dwells inside of us, who knows the will of God, he hears my groaning. And he says, Father, what Tony's really trying to say right now, what he really means, and what he really needs, because he doesn't understand what's going on and what we're doing, but Father, we do. And so, Father, according to the will of God, he, and somehow, beyond my finite mind's understanding, he makes intercession for us as he helps and he assists us in prayer. Hey, can I encourage you when you pray to be open and dependent upon the Holy Spirit? And maybe at the beginning of your prayer to say, Father, I just pray, would you help me by your Spirit to pray according to the will of God? Because that becomes really effective prayer. Because it's prayer in accordance with what God's doing. Well, why don't we stand together? Let's pray.